The 2000 season saw 23 running backs that gained over 1,000 yards rushing. It took the NFL 14 seasons to get just one running back to this 1,000 yard mark, and then another 13 seasons after that for it to happen a second time. In this episode, I'm going to give you the name of the man with the first ever 1,000 yard rushing season in the NFL. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step off our DeLorean, the date is August 20th, 1909, and we are in Bristol, Virginia. The name of the man that is the hero of our story this time, is William Beatty Feathers, whom we're going to just go ahead and call Beatty Feathers for the remainder of this episode. That's because, in all the NFL accounts and everything else, they just went on and called him Beatty Feathers. But he had a nickname, and that nickname was Big Chief. One of the big reasons why he got this nickname was because he had a Native American heritage. So, being a football star and all, there was the natural comparisons to uh, Mr. Jim Thorpe, and he was the first star of the league. The owners decided that they could use this stardom, you know, from being this great athlete, this world-renowned Olympian, and we're going to go ahead and use him, and he's going to be the poster child for our new league so we can go ahead and just rule all of the sports in this country. It didn't happen that quick and everything. I mean, now it's the most dominating sport in America, but we had a long ways to go. And the guy we're going to talk about in this episode, Mr. Beatty Feathers, definitely had his own little mark on the game. But we got to go back a little bit. Um, when he was in high school, he led the Virginia High Bearcats to the Virginia State Championship. When he led this team to the Virginia State Championship, he was a star halfback. So he was, you know, amazing at football. But uh, he was also really good at some other sports too, most notably baseball, which he would go on in college to play as well. Uh, speaking of college, he started at, the University of Tennessee, and they would end up calling him one of the greatest of all time at that school. But at the beginning, he was just this, you know, young punk. And what you going to do in here for, man? Uh, we don't need you. He had to work for it just like everybody else. So what I found was they said that he was brought in to kind of be groomed to fill the shoes of a legendary volunteer. And his name was Gene McKever. They didn't necessarily need him at the time. I mean, it kind of reminded me of when the Packers took Aaron Rodgers, when they still had Brett Favre, you know, a legendary quarterback in his own right. So they didn't necessarily need him right away, but they saw this potential in a dude. And they're like, man, I just got to have him. So what they did was they brought him in, like I said, to fill the shoes and kind of work behind Mr. Gene McKever. I would consider that probably an understatement because when he was in college, he played 30 games, and he scored 32 touchdowns. That is a pretty good mark, if you ask me. And uh, one of his teammates thought so as well. His name was Freddie Moses. And there's a quote from his teammate, Mr. Freddie Moses, that went as such. Beatty didn't think in terms of first downs, only in terms of touchdowns. Now, I don't know if he had that kind of accent or whatever, but uh, yeah. That's a lot of touchdowns in a short time span. 
He led the Volunteers to a 25-3-2 record in his career. And then in 1932, he led them to the SEC Championship. So, Mr. B.D. Feather's doing it again. High school, now he's leading the college team. And he was nicknamed the Bonding Antelope. Kind of like Bounding Antelope, I'm guessing. Um, I really didn't know what this meant. Maybe it was a term that, you know, back in the day, it was like, kind of made sense. But uh, what they said was it was, he pretty much was kind of this guy, like, he had this really strange style of running at the time. And they talked about, like, you know, he'd be, <laughs> try to go grab him and, you know, hip, scop, jump, flip around, turn around, go that way. And it wasn't like I'm going to run around and see the horn, just fly straight forward. He was kind of going around, guys. So it was like, you know, I'm going to tackle him. I'm like, just get nothing but air. You know, probably a face full of dirt, too. I'm like, that don't taste good. So, yeah, his style of running was uh, quite unique, as I said. But to me, one of the more impressive things um, that you, you don't see as much nowadays because, you know, everyone has more their specialized positions was although he was a star running back, he also returned kicks. I mean, you're like, well, that happens all the time. I mean, Mr. Alvin Kamara did it last year. But the most impressive thing was he was an excellent punter. And they really talked about this one primary game where it really showed off his impressive punting skills. You're all like, dude, I didn't come to hear about a guy kicking a ball around. I came to listen to a guy taking that ball, running it down the hole, and scoring a touchdown. Well, I'm saying, you know, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. And this game, I guess it was a punting duel against Alabama's Johnny Kane. They would end up together having 40 different punts. But Mr. Feathers scored the winning touchdown late in the fourth quarter. And that goes to show you how important field position really can be. I mean, we talked about back with the Red Grange episode where Michigan was so convinced that kicking the ball off after they got scored upon was a good idea because they wanted to focus on field position. And now it's coming again. 40 punts in a game. A big duel. This rained out, sloppy, dirty, messy kind of game. This guy said, you know what? I know normally I'm the flashy running back. This time I will continue to punt that ball, even though I just got done failing to get that first down. And I will continue to do it because that is what the team needs. So yes, he led that team to that victory in the fourth quarter with persistence in that punting and then grabbing that ball, scoring the winning touchdown late in the fourth quarter. So even though this was just one game, he had a, like I said, illustrious career because, you know, scoring 32 touchdowns in 30 games is a pretty good feat. A few awards that he was given was uh, he was given the Consensus All-American, of course, and then also he was the SEC MVP in 1933. And then finally, would end up being inducted to the University of Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame for both football and baseball, which is pretty cool because, you know, we go back to the whole Bo Jackson style in it. And although he had a, like I said, illustrious college career, that's not really where he got his fame from. You see, this is back in the day where the Chicago Bears were like the studs. They owned this land. And Mr. George Hallis was in charge of it all. But he already had Red Grange, Sid Luckman, Bronco Nagurski, and many others. But you know what he said? He was like, you know what? I uh, I see this guy over there. Over in, uh, you know, Tennessee. I think I want him. I want him on my team. I'm going to make him my star. 
So even though you had all of these future Hall of Famers on this team in 1934, which was the rookie year for Beattie Feathers, George Hallis looked at him to become his star. And yes, I mean, I know Red Grange was at the twilight of his career. Um, and then on offense, he played mostly wide receiver and mostly, basically, he was a defensive back, which we discussed in a previous episode. But it was time to unleash Beatty Feathers. And Bronco Nagurski, like we talked about in that last episode, was going to pave the way. You have Bronco Nagurski, this big Mack diesel truck, and now we've got Beatty Feathers, the shiny new Lamborghini, Ferrari, whatever kind of sports car you want to talk about, but that's him. All we got to do is turn that key, man. Crank that ignition up. Let's get on the road and let's go over there to the victory. George Hallis, he has the keys to the ignition. He has Bronco Nagurski, who's the road grader. The Mack diesel truck's going to just plow the way for everybody just to open up the lanes. And he's got this beady feathers guy but you know what he does he keeps him in the garage he's got that wrap around it kind of hiding it it's like i know there's a shiny toy or another what is that it's like a lamborghini maybe a ferrari porsche any other super fast awesome cars that you want to think about and he's like no i got this secret weapon that i am gonna unleash onto the nfl and he's not a big name Right now. So maybe if we had a fantasy draft back in the day, all the analysts would be calling him a possible super sleeper. Sleeper of the year. Take him in the last round. Have a shot. And we're about to find out. But before we do, I want to remind you to head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com slash episode 8 for more show notes and information on this wonderful rookie year that Beatty Feathers had. And if you want to share your favorite football moment of all time, to be played on an upcoming episode of the Football History Dude, please head over to myfootballmoment.com where I give you a couple different options and explain to you what you have to do to submit your story. But now we're getting back to that rookie season. Definitely could possibly be considered one of the greatest rookie seasons of all time. And what better person to know how BD ran than Mr. Bronco Nagurski himself, which in the last episode, we discussed how he helped BD Feathers run into the history books of the NFL. He had a quote that went as such. Watching him reminded me of watching a jackrabbit in a cornfield with a hound chasing him. He would change his pace and his direction all the time. He also stayed close to his interference. BD would stay with you as long as you could do him so good. Then he'd make his cut and go off on his own. Thinking about that in the modern day NFL, like uh, this year coming up, kind of reminds me of Le'Veon Bell. He's just like this guy, kind of kind of just comes up, you know, kind of like chill, laid back, coming up to the line of scrimmage, you know, kind of peeking out over here, going to check over there, and all of a sudden, it's like, it's like he's got this rubber band that's been pulled back, and he just keeps pulling back until you can't pull it back any further, and he finds his hole, and shoots straight through the hole, and he's just gone. It's just pretty cool to watch Le'Veon Bell, the way he runs, and patience, the vision, the all that kind of stuff, you think, like, how is he ever going to do this because normally you should just keep going man otherwise you're gonna get hit and he just somehow squeaks out pops through on the other side of the hole and he ends up getting all those yards and i don't really know what else to call him other than like something like a pouncing tiger or something someone that's just and yeah of course i mean the whole shiftiness uh, you know i'm thinking about barry sanders right so getting back to the season that he had that rookie season that will go 
down. NFL history. You're like, man, what's going on here? He keeps talking about this rookie season. Why is it so great? There's a couple of reasons why this season was great. The first was like kind of a team record. And then the second, we're going to discuss an individual record at the time they thought was unfathomable. It could not be done. Like, there's no way you can break a four-minute mile, you know, until someone did. And then it just kept happening. But let's get back to the season statistics. You see, the Bears would end up becoming the first ever undefeated team in the NFL. They would go 13-0 that season. And yes, BD Feathers led them there because he was a star. Like I said, he was that shiny new sports car that he kept in the garage. He said, I'm going to unleash this car on the entire planet and they won't know what hit him. I mean, later on, we'd have two other teams in the NFL that would go undefeated. The Miami Dolphins in 1972 went undefeated and they ended up winning the Super Bowl. And then again, in 2007, the New England Patriots would go undefeated. But they would end up losing in the Super Bowl to David Tyree, the helmet catch, and the New York Giants. But we're going all the way back to 1934 to talk about the championship game. Like I said, the Bears went undefeated. They were 13-0. But in this championship game, just like the fate of the New England Patriots, they would end up being defeated by the New York Giants. So yes, the New York Giants throughout history have been some giant slayers defeating two of the only undefeated teams in the NFL, both defeated by the New York Giants. And this game was uh, famous, and it was given the name, I'm using quotes here, the sneaker game. You're like, sneaker game? What is he talking about? You got ninjas in my back pocket or something? And, uh... Just gonna sneak up on me, but that's not the, that's not the same kind of sneakers I'm talking about. I'm talking about those things you put on your feet, man. You see, the uh, field was slit with ice. That was because they had freezing rain all night before the game, and then the temperature at game time was only nine degrees. So, like I said, it was like basically like a sheet of ice. And the legend has it that the Giants coach at the time, which was Steve Owen, um. If that rings a bell, that is the same guy that we talked about in the last episode that basically said the only way you can stop Bronco Nagurski is take a shotgun to him before he leaves the locker room soon. I mean, he didn't say it quite like that, but that's basically what he was getting at. And I'm like, huh, well, maybe at this point, that is kind of like one of your best options. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I was just joking, man. I'm not going that route. I'm not going to jail. Ain't nobody got to go to jail today. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to talk it over with my right end, Mr. Ray Flaherty. Because he got to talk about these field conditions. And Ray Flaherty would end up having this uh, light bulb, bing, above your head kind of moments. He described a game that he had in his previous lifetime. Well, <laughs> college that is, not lifetime. You know, pros in college, just like a long time ago. And a uh, quote that he had when it's such. Too bad we don't have sneakers instead of these things. I remember a game at Gonzaga. The ground was just like this. We switched to basketball shoes and ran away from the other team. Now, Flaherty's alma mater was Gonzaga. That's why he means he was over there at Gonzaga and stuff. But this was like, you know, right before the game started. And, you know, we got we to gotta play this thing. You know, we got this game to play. We're not going to go over there and uh, eat some snacks and roast some marshmallows and over a bonfire or something and sing Kumbaya. It's like, let's do this thing. This is football. And they had to start the game. But still, they're like, <laughs> we're definitely the underdogs. We should... uh try to do something here, but uh, getting some sneakers was hard to come by. 
because all the sporting goods stores were closed. I'm assuming they were probably closed to watch this game. It was their beloved New York Giants against the Chicago Bears. So, where are we going to get some shoes? Then the trainer, Gus Mauch, suggested that the Manhattan College might have a supply of sneakers. So then they sent this guy by the name of Abe Cohen to go pick up some shoes over at the Manhattan College. He would end up getting these sneakers, but he would not get back until a little bit after halftime. And at the time, the Bears were already up 13-3, so it did not look good for the Giants. After calling a timeout and such, the Giants coach Steve Owen brought the players off the field. He said, hey, swap those spiky shoes you got over there for these basketball sneakers. Just trust me, man. It's going to work. And work it did. They would end up going on a 27-0 run with a final score of 30-13 to on the back of Ken Strong. And yeah, that was against the Chicago Bears, the vaulted, undefeated 13-0 Chicago Bears. All because of some footwear. Man, it's just little things can make a huge difference. And speaking of those little things, they had a quote from uh, Mr. Ken Strong himself saying, I'm no hero. And then he pointed over at um, Abe Cohen, the guy that went and picked up the shoes. He said, there's your hero. And although this game would end not in the favor of the Chicago Bears, it was still one of the greatest rookie years of all time, especially when you grade it on a curve. Like I said, it was thought to be unfathomable to have this next feat that I'm discussing. They figured no one could ever rush for a thousand yards in a season, but BD Feathers did. He had 1,004 rushing yards on 119 carries. I'm going to go ahead and twiddle my thumbs here and play the Jeopardy music, let you try to figure out how many yards he averaged per carry. That's 8.4 yards. He had 8.4 yards per carry. Still, the best average for a running back of all time. Now, Michael Vick would end up edging him out just, just I mean, like a f- tiny little fraction more yards per carry. But uh, that was as a quarterback, and that's a little bit different because he doesn't have as many rushing attempts. But still, awesome rookie year. Like I said, at the time, they thought it was impossible of a feat. They went the first 14 seasons before even just one player in the NFL had a 1,000-yard rushing season. But to me, what makes it more impressive was he missed the final two games of the regular season from a serious injury to his shoulder that would end up haunting him for his entire career. And unfortunately, because it did haunt him, he was injury-plagued. And he really only had that one season that would end up being so good. He would end up playing for six more seasons. You know, three for Chicago, two for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and then one for the Green Bay Packers. But nothing even came close to the impact he had on his rookie year. Like I said, 1,004 rushing yards, 119 carries, 8.4 average per carry. Just unstoppable, especially when you consider, at the time, it was like, they know he's getting the ball. What are you going to do? You ain't stopping him because look it, he just ran right past you. And that would have been something awesome to see. But even cooler is that, you know, you had Hanko Nagurski, Red Grange, the Bears were just loaded. And now they've got this Beady Feathers guy who ends up just topping all of their stats for the first time ever having a 1,000-yard rushing season. Man, it just must have been an awesome time to be a part of the NFL, especially in the Chicago region. But, like I said, he had an injury-plagued career. He would never rush for more than 350 yards in one season again. 
So after he ended up retiring from the football, he had all this great knowledge. So he will go on to become a head coach in baseball and football for many years to come. His first head coaching football job was at Appalachian State in 1942. And then from 1944 to 1951, he took over the North Carolina football program. Then he said, man, I'm going to go do some baseball. So from the 1954 season to 1960, he was a head baseball coach at Texas Tech. He's like, well, eh, I had enough of this. I'm going back to football. And he would end up going to Wake Forest first as an assistant and then as a head coach. And kind of like a side interesting fact tidbit kind of deal. And while at Wake Forest, he was the coach of halfback Brian Piccolo, who later would star with Gale Sayers on the Chicago Bears. And <laughs> there's that Chicago Bears again, you know. But unfortunately, he had an untimely death. But the kind of the interesting tidbit that I wanted to say was the movie Brian's Song was based on this Brian Piccolo's career, which he was mentored by B.D. Feathers when he was at Wake Forest. But going back to that magical rookie season. BD Feathers averaged 8.44 yards per carry in his rookie season. This still is an NFL record by a running back. Michael Vick edged him out in 2006 by averaging 8.45, a measly .01 more yards per carry, but he was a quarterback. With this feat standing unbroken for 84 years now, I would have to say this has to be one of the greatest rookie seasons of all time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Football History Dude and were able to gain some knowledge nuggets of one of the greatest rookie seasons in NFL history. If you would like to leave feedback about this topic to be featured on the show, head over to thefootballhistorydude.com slash contact for two ways to do so. You can also hit me up on Twitter. My handle is at FHDude to leave feedback. I would love to keep this conversation going. Now in the upcoming episode, we're going to take a look at the man behind the scenes in the past five episodes legendary coach, Mr. George Hallis. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs>